Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we also forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And now our reading this morning comes from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7, verses 7 through 11. You can follow along in your Bible, so on the screen. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? This is the word of God for the people of God. There is, uh, we appear to see this passage that Holly just read to us this morning, sort of brought to life in a 2003 comedy that many of us have probably seen titled Bruce Almighty. In the movie, the main character Bruce, who was played by Jim Carrey, is having a rough go at it in life, and he was recently fired from his job, and so he complains that God is the one who ought to be fired from his job for allowing such unfortunate circumstances to be played out in his life. And to his surprise, God, who is played by Morgan Freeman, and I do imagine God having a voice like Morgan Freeman, he welcomes Bruce to walk in his shoes for an entire week. That is, Bruce gets to play the role of God in the world for an entire week. Can you imagine being God for a week? What would you do? (laughs) Don't answer that. I don't know if I actually want to know what you would do. But as part of his responsibilities in the movie, Bruce is... uh, sort of tasked with responding to all of the prayer requests that are offered to God in the world. And using his good sense, he grants all of the requests, all of them, yes, to every single prayer that is offered to him in prayer. And so we see this sort of play out in the movie, stocks triple in value for some. A man grows physically taller, maybe from like 5'4 to 5'5, five five, I don't know. But there's a girl who threw a no-hitter in her softball game, much to her dad's joy and surprise. And pr- perhaps one of my favorite ones was a woman who lost 47 pounds on what was affectionately known as the Krispy Kreme Diet, so good. And then everyone wins the lottery, right? Everybody won the lottery to the tune of like five bucks or whatever it was. You see, in our teaching series on prayer so far, we've talked about a number of different ways that the scriptures and Jesus and the Christian faith that we're a part of has sort of taught God's people to pray. But this morning, we will consider what might be perhaps the most foundational and natural form of prayer the prayer request, that is asking God to do something. This is perhaps the most basic way that God's people have been instructed to pray, to present our requests before him. As one pastor wrote it, if prayer is the heart of religion, then petition or request is the heart of prayer. Prayers in which we ask God to do something for us 
are prayers that are known as petitions, and prayers in which we ask God to do something for others is called intercession. But in its essence, both forms of prayer are the foundational way that we commune with God. We ask him to do something for us, for others that we know and love. And while the humorous scenes of Bruce Almighty depict what it might look like if God answered everybody's requests, it is the seeming absence of God's responding to our prayers that can often stifle our presenting our requests before God. I can still recall sitting on the steps leading up to my parents' house, sitting there with my friend Amanda. She had grown up across the street from me. We had gone to the same high school. And during our high school times, her mom was diagnosed with cancer, and she long battled with cancer for years and years and years. And at some point in the midst of her mom's battle of cancer, my father too was diagnosed with cancer. Both of them battled. Both of them treated. Both had people praying for them. Both had people desperately, sincerely, and persistently praying for their healing. And I still remember her question to me late that evening. It was quiet for a brief moment, and with tears in her eyes, she asked, why did God save your dad but not my mom. Amanda's mom had passed away as a result of her cancer my junior year in college. And the question that she asked, it was so honest. It was so pointed. It was so direct, right? And what the question really gets at, the heart of the matter, is this question, does prayer actually work? Does prayer work really Or are things just going to happen the way that they're going to happen regardless and we just kind of have to learn to accept things? So you, you likely have your own stories about longings and things that you have prayed for that never came to fruition. Surely some of these you can look back on and realize that's not what prayer is all about. How many times did I go into a test in high school praying for success on the test? Or how many times did I pray that the little infatuation or crush that I had when I was in junior high would reciprocate my feelings? And God did not answer any of those requests, by the way. I don't know what was up with that. But if we're honest, though, we recognize that unanswered prayer is oftentimes more confounding and difficult than God didn't give me an A or that girl doesn't like me back. My friend's mom, who wasn't cured of cancer, the funeral that Paige and I just attended this past Friday of a faithful friend whose life was cut far too short by ALS, leaving her high school and college-aged kids without a mom and her husband without her companionship. What is going on here, God? There is certainly much to say about the topic of unanswered prayer, but this morning we will simply say that the scriptures do not hide from the reality that God doesn't respond to our prayers the way we want him to all of the time. We need to look no further than the life of Jesus to glimpse the difficult realities of unanswered prayer. You see, the night before Jesus goes to the cross, there's this scene in the Synoptic Gospels where Jesus is praying, some of you may be familiar, in the Garden of Gethsemane. And it it truly is a gift that we receive this sort of insight and report of this moment of prayer in the life of Jesus. He had gathered his prayer team. He gathered all the disciples to come pray with him in the middle of the night to join him in his prayers, to join him in his distress. And they all fell asleep. Get a better prayer team than that. But he gathers his prayer team and he prays to God that evening, my soul, 
is overwhelmed with sorrow. Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. We know that Jesus' prayer was unanswered. Some will say it was answered no, but from Jesus' experience of offering that request before God, all he got was silence in return, and he was to endure the cross the following day. And these kinds of experiences, the unanswered prayer in the midst of overwhelming sorrow, can sometimes serve as a great hindrance to our developing our lives of prayer within the body of Christ and within the church. But in these moments, we would do well to remember that faith is not placed in the act of prayer, but instead is rooted in a powerful, loving, generous God. The Bible and the Christian faith have never viewed prayer as a mechanism that guarantees that God's action will conform to our will. If I just say the right words in the right order, then God will do exactly what I want God to do. The church has never taught this. In fact, the Bible and the Christian faith has never viewed prayer as the mechanism in which the world magically conforms to God's will. If the church would just pray the right way and say the right things in all of the right days, we could have world peace, the eradication of sickness and poverty, and everyone will come to know Jesus personally. We have never taught and the scriptures do not illuminate prayer in this manner. There's a scene in the thea- theatrical renditions of Peter Pan. I don't know if you have seen this sort of on performed live, but there's a scene where Tinkerbell is poisoned by Captain Hook, insidious Captain Hook, and the audience is told as they watch Tinkerbell slowly sort of drift away and suffer, the audience is told she's going to die unless we do something. So clap your hands and say, I believe in fairies. I believe in fairies. And so the audience, right, they clap their hands. I believe in fairies. I believe in fairies. Some people think that prayer works that way. If we just have faith in our faith, if we just have faith in our praying and our method of praying, then we can bring about change in the world. Then God will do something. This view sort of likens prayer to the practice of magicians. If we snap our fingers in just the right way, If we blow on the cards, and if we say all of the right words, abracadabra, then we can do what seems to be impossible. We can do the miraculous. We can summon the divine. But our faith, church, isn't in our own faith. If I just believe enough, then something will change the world. No, that's not what we have taught. It's not what the scriptures teach. Our faith isn't in our praying If I just say the right words for the certain amount of time, then God will do something in the world. Our faith isn't in our faith and it isn't in our prayers. Our faith has always been in the person of Jesus. The one Hebrews says is the author and perfecter of our faith. You see, the all or nothing proposition of faith is not whether or not prayer works or seems to work. That is, my faith hinges on the reality that God does what I ask God to do. The all-or-nothing proposition of faith is whether or not we trust Jesus, whether or not Jesus can be trusted, even if God doesn't seem to be doing the things I think he ought to be doing. And it's the act of presenting our request before God that ultimately demonstrates that our confidence rests in Jesus alone. This is why in the garden that Jesus concludes his prayer, yet not my will, but your will be done. This abiding sort of confidence 
And a powerful, loving, and generous God is the faith that Jesus reveals to us that his disciples, too, are supposed to have. And to be sure, let me just clarify, this isn't to dismiss the challenge and confusion unanswered prayer presents to us. It's super difficult to wrestle with. Why doesn't God do the things that God seems like he says he wants to do in the scriptures in the world? And there's a lot of ways to try and explain, well, this is how you can understand it. Frankly, I just don't know. I, I just don't have access to the mind of God to know why he doesn't do the things that I think he should be doing in the world. But I trust Jesus. And we need to simply recognize that even Jesus wrestled with that reality of unanswered prayer. And to follow Jesus by faith is to maintain a confidence in him in the face that challenges and confusion sort of as they emerge in our lives as we pray and our prayers are unanswered. Presenting our request to Jesus, though, is the most basic act of Christian faith, the most rudimentary expression of our confidence in Jesus. In this series on prayer, we've discussed contemplative prayer, We've talked about discerning God's will. We've talked about thanksgiving and confession. We've talked about the prayer of examine. And surely we want to pray in all these kinds of ways. And next week, actually, we're going to talk about what does it look like for us to develop practically a discipline of prayer that might form us and form us in faith in prayer. But it might be that our greatest confidence in Jesus is seen in our simple presentation of our requests before him. You see, in presenting our request to God, we declare, God, we need you. In presenting our request before God, we proclaim, we believe, God, that you can do something, that you can work in my life and in the world. In presenting our request before God, we are saying to him, we believe that you care enough to do something in our life and in the world. Our need, our trust in God's power our confidence in God's care for us, they all converge into this single act of presenting our requests before him. I will shamefully confess to all of you that uh, Levi, my two-year-old son, wakes up before me most mornings. Most mornings I wake up to the sound of the bedroom door swinging open, slamming up against the wall that is behind it, accompanied by the sound of blankets dragging across the floor and a pacifier being enjoyed by my recharged toddler. And truly, all I want to do is sort of ease into the day. Just let me open my eyes, maybe kind of be alert to my own life for a few moments before I have to get up and tend to you, little one. Honestly, I pretend to sleep most mornings. I close my eyes thinking that if he thinks that I'm sleeping, maybe he will like go and walk to his mom's side of the bed or maybe he'll just go feed himself. I don't know. But this, by the way, it has never worked. But I, I'm, I'm determined that one day it will work. It's usually all of three seconds where in the presence of his sleeping father, Levi utters his first words of the day. Daddy, get up. Make breakfast. Daddy, get down. Make coffee. My son is a total coffee addict, by the way. He's not good. Daddy, make coffee. Upon hearing that voice and those requests, my longing to lay in bed and pretend to be asleep quickly melts away. And it is my joy to get my day going a bit earlier than I would have otherwise because of my son's requests. 
Jesus' use of a father giving good gifts to his children isn't incidental or accidental in his teaching about prayer. It is illuminating to us how we ought to bring our requests before God. It is illuminating to us about how God receives our requests in prayer. It is, hear this church, God's longing to hear the requests of his children. It is God's longing to hear your requests. As Richard Foster writes, do you know why the mighty God of the universe chooses to answer prayer? It is because his children ask. God delights in our asking. Is this how you imagine what goes on as you present your requests before God? That there is a father who delights in you requesting things of him. You see, this is the most basic and fundamental expression of our confidence in Jesus, that he is a loving father and wants to work in the world and in our lives. You see, prayer, it influences God to work in ways that he wouldn't otherwise. This is why James writes in his letter, you do not have because you do not ask God. You do not have because you do not ask God. God, it is a startling statement. It, it, it sort of explodes all of our theological categories that God would work in ways that he wouldn't otherwise because we pray. This is why Jesus instructs in this morning's passage to ask, to seek, to knock in prayer because it is in our asking and it is in our seeking and in our knocking that God works in ways that he wouldn't otherwise God's response to our prayers doesn't mean that God is dependent on our praying to do something in the world. Let's not get it too twisted. But rather, God waiting to act until we pray is a way of honoring us as free creatures. As a French philosopher, Blaise Pascal once wrote, God has instituted prayer to impart to his creatures the dignity of causality. That's a great line, but there's a lot of words in there. That, that is to say that God has invited us to be partners in what he's doing in the world and that partnership to bring about his redemptive purposes, to join him in his kingdom efforts, it all begins in our prayers. It all begins in our requesting. God longs for us to partner with him for what he's doing in the world. He doesn't impose his will upon us or use force to strong-arm us into doing the things that he wants to do. Rather, it is through prayerful participation that God brings about his will in the world. This is why, by the way, church, in Luke 11, where Jesus teaches the Lord's Prayer, he specifies that when you ask, when you seek, when you knock, you ought to do it all in my name. You ought to pray in the name of Jesus, in my name. Can you imagine saying that to people? That would be crazy. Like, you need to pray in the name of Aaron. That is an audacious statement, but Jesus was God, so it's okay. But one of the things that we learn in that teaching and that instruction is that our prayers are supposed to be shaped and formed so that we are directed to ask God to do the things in the world that God wants to do. God wants to heal. God wants to redeem. God wants to reconcile things. God wants to eradicate poverty. God wants to do all of these things and it's in our requesting as a sort of uh, in partnership with Jesus and Jesus' kingdom that God wants to hear our prayers directed in that way. There are mornings when 
we get up for breakfast, Levi and I, and he requests the most ridiculous things to eat. There are some mornings where he's like, Daddy, eat cake. <laughs> no, we're not going to eat cake. Daddy, eat chocolate. No, we're not going to. Daddy, M&M's? No. Ice cream? No, we're not doing any of that for breakfast, right? And in the same way, Jesus wants us to learn to pray for the kingdom of God. Jesus wants us to pray, not just say, you know, and in the name of Jesus we pray, amen. That's not exactly what it means to pray in the name of Jesus. It is to direct our requests that long for the things that Jesus longs for, to long long for the things that God wants to do in the world. See, God's granting our requests are always contingent on those requests being aligned with the good things that we actually need. When we ask God for bread, God gives us bread. But if we ask for a snake, God does not give us the snake, right? In the passage this morning, God is responsive to our prayers in ways that are good for us. Church, hear this good news. God hears and responds to your prayers of what you actually need in life. And the confidence that God does respond to our prayers ought to make us persistent in our prayers. In Luke 11, again, referencing that passage, he tells a parable of a man who needs food for a friend who has recently arrived to his home. So this guy is just hanging out in his house, and he has a buddy who traveled a long distance and crashes, and he has no food to give to this weary traveler. He wasn't prepared for his friend to arrive, and so he doesn't have bread to feed him. And the man goes to his neighbor in the middle of the night, think like two o'clock in the morning, your neighbor coming and be like, hey, can I borrow butter? You're like, no, you can't borrow butter. It's two o'clock in the morning. Get out of here, dude. And so the neighbor initially resists because it's the middle of the night. But Jesus says that the neighbor eventually relents, giving the man bread because of what Jesus calls the shameless audacity of the request. The parable is Jesus' invitation to his disciples to be bold and persistent in their prayers, to be shamelessly audacious in their prayers. The great American evangelist and preacher, D.L. Moody, was uh, carried with him a list of 100 non-Christians for whom he prayed for daily. Over the years, whenever one of them on the list would give their life to Jesus, Moody would cross their name off of his list. And when he died, he had crossed off 96 of those 100 names. How audacious to spend a lifetime praying for 100 people. How persistent, what perseverance in prayer and in faith, what confidence that God actually hears and responds to us in prayer. This morning, in your bulletin inserts, there is a prayer card that I snuck in there this morning. And one of the things that I want to invite you to do with that card is to write down a handful of things that you want God to respond to in prayer and to carry it around with you every day. Put it in your wallet, Put it in your purse, which is challenging for my wife because then she has to change it from purse to purse to purse to purse to purse. But to carry that around for you as a reminder that every time you touch it in your pocket, every time that you swap it out, that you are praying persistently and audaciously before God, trusting that though he may not have answered 
immediately in the first prayer that in time your persistence will take effect in influencing what he is doing in the world and in your life. Our confidence in Jesus not only invites us to pray, trusting that God responds to our prayers, but invites us to be audacious in our persistence in prayer. The teaching of Jesus and the witness of the Bible is that God hears and responds to our prayers, church. There are times when we will question as to why God failed to answer our prayers. But as we confidently place our faith in Jesus, presenting our request to him persistently before him, we will discover that God does indeed respond to our prayers. As Pastor William Temple once said, when I pray, coincidences happen. And when I don't, they don't. What we discover in our praying is that our confidence only ever grows in God because he does respond to our prayers. And the question to you this morning, what do you need to present before God this morning in prayer? What have you given up on praying for that you need to be persistent in praying for this morning? Is it a loved one? Is it a friend? Is it an ailment that you're currently enduring? Would you dedicate yourself to a confident life of faith expressed in prayer this day and in all the days that you spend following Jesus because he does hear us, church? This is good news. Amen? Let's pray. Father, there perhaps is not a prayer card long enough to list all of our requests. We're grateful that in your infinite greatness and wisdom that you are aware of the needs that we're aware of and you're aware of the needs that we don't even know we have yet. And we rest in the fact that you are loving and generous, that you are at work in redeeming and restoring and healing not just our broken lives individually but the world. We want to be a people that express, God, our confidence in you by simply and persistently presenting our requests to you. God, I pray that you would continue to hear our prayers. I pray, God, that you would be at work in our lives, that you would reveal yourself and increase our confidence in you because of what it is that you are doing because of our praying. We're so grateful that you are God who partners with us and we long to partner with you. And may you get all of the glory for everything that you do because of our praying, God. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray, amen. Church, as you go from this place, may you go with a great confidence that a loving Father hears you as you pray to him. And may he respond to you in grace and in mercy and in love. Go in his peace this week, amen.